Hey, everybody. Welcome back to When the Cleats Come Off. I have the most special guest I've had on the show. And yes, I can say this because I'm married to him. Ben Marvin Nagel, welcome to When the Cleats Come Off. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you here just because, one, you've been asking me nonstop when you're going to be on the podcast. That's not true. Yes. Yes. You've asked me at least 10 times. When am I going to be on the show? I think it was just because you put it into my ear that one time. And it was like, I, I think she just said it to make me feel good. And then it was like, it was actually never going to happen. But and, and here, here we, we are. are. <laughs> here we are. Yes, you you have been itching to be on the podcast. And honestly, I, I've probably been pushing it off because I didn't know exactly where I wanted to go with it because there's so many things that I know about you that I feel like could bring value to the audience, but where to start kind of slowed me down. So I just said, let's just do the dang thing. And here we are. So should we tell the audience how we met first, just so they can, you know, set the playing field and kind of know what's coming. Perfect. Maybe you're great at this. So we've been married for a total of not even four months. Correct. Correct. You're better at math than me. Um, that's what I was waiting for, by the way, to get you on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Four months in. How do you think it's going? Great. Everything's good. <laughs> life's life's crazy, but it's art crazy and it's it's fun and it's exciting and we haven't been bored yet. So that's that's the way to live life. Right. Yeah. But that's because we have a dog. Not just the dog. You don't think so? I guess buying a house has something to do with it. Yeah. But it's been fun. It's been great. It's been fun. I think it's been going decent. The fun thing, and I think we both have like similar mindsets here, is that where it starts isn't going to be where we end. Yep. Yep. And that's the exciting part. It's like every day is something different. For sure. And a new challenge. So it's been going good. Yeah. Yeah. It's been been a pretty fun ride. People ask me all the time, like, how's it going? I'm like... I think it's fine. <laughs> I think yeah, it's I mean, good. I, I feel like it's almost one of those where it's like if you don't really have any like really just big things that come to your mind when somebody asks you that question, that means like you're obviously doing the thing, right? Yeah, like it's not it. like there's nothing like no excitement is almost like good news, right? It's like how was how was your travel? How was your trip? It's like uneventful. Like that's that's a kind of That's great kind of what you it, want. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's no big ups or big downs. It's yeah. just, we're, yeah. we're, we're doing, doing the thing. It. Yeah. <laughs> I love we're it. There. Good answer. This is why I knew you'd be a good person to interview. Um, okay. So just to keep it short. Oh boy. With our story, I guess you could say we met our junior year. We we're in the same class at Purdue. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we met before then. You think so? Like, yeah. I don't, I don't, well, we did live in the same dorm yeah. our freshman year. We never knew that. So yeah, I guess we could have, but when you came on my radar was when I got this random email from this guy that was like, Hey, I'm trying to change a bylaw here for the big 10. Will you help me with it? Or do you want to meet about it? And I normally never check my email. <laughs> As a college athlete, like that's the last thing you think of, right? Unless you're like sending a document to yourself that you're trying to publish for class. But I somehow came across this email and we started meeting and then we actually did it. We changed the bylaw. What was the bylaw again? It had to do with student athletes going to games. Yep. 
So the Big Ten had a had a longstanding rule that did not allow student athletes of other sports to attend men's basketball or football uh, games during the season, and all other conferences allowed it. Big Ten was kind of unique in that sense, and you know we felt like to to bring all the teams and and all the student athletes together, it made sense to you know allow student athletes um, to be able to go to those games without having to pay for the tickets. Obviously, you know there were. There's a lot of things around financial aid and everything else, a cost of attendance that have gone out around that same same topic. Obviously, college students aren't necessarily, you know, filled with with money in their pockets and their bank accounts to be able to pay for some of these sporting events. So that's a fact. It was very cool that the that the Big Ten was, you know, open enough to allow us to do this. And, you know, even to some of the biggest, you know, stadiums in the in the country, the the big house, uh, the horseshoe. I mean, all of them. You know, hundred and ten thousand, and it's packed every single game. And you know, even those administrators have have opened their doors to other student athletes to be able to go to games, which is really really cool. And you know, now we even see your sister being able to benefit from that too. Hey, that's a fact. She doesn't even know that. I don't she, think. I don't think she knows that. She's been to so many games in the big house at this point. Yeah. She didn't know that we had something to do with that. Yeah, we're pretty cool. Or you'd be. Let's call us just a power couple. <laughs> I'm not the first one to say it. I'm just repeating somebody else. But yeah, that's how we met. And I will say one meeting a week turned into like two and then three. And then boom, we're dating. Our first date was at Chipotle before we left for Wisconsin. Yep. Yeah. Man. And now look at us. We have a dog. We have a house. We're married. What a road. What a road. And now we're here. Yep. I still. So if anybody is listening and you're like, this is not like a normal interview. It's not. I'm not going to lie. I've been nervous for this thing again, because I'm like, this could go in so many different ways, but I have a gazillion questions. I'm sure I won't get to all of them, but, um, you played college golf. Yep. I'm pretty sure the first time I saw you hit the driver and I had no, I had no appreciation for golf before I met you. I'm just going to say that out loud. Like my uncle would be watching it on TV and I'd be like, what is the point? I don't understand this sport. Yep. You hit a little white ball, you chase it around, you hit it again. And yeah, that's the difference between yeah. your sport and my sport. Yeah. You hit it and then have to go get it. Find I it. hit it and somebody else has to go get it yep. and find it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For me, I have to find it. But college athletics, man. I, so again, with golf, I really didn't understand how hard it was until like I saw you go through it. Like the grind of, was it 36 holes a day? Yep. Yep. Take, okay. I think you should just take us through like what being a college golfer is like to start off this conversation. I'm not sure how much of it I can even share. <laughs> um, and some of my teammates might, might, you know, be, be saying the same thing, but remember uh, please, the audience please. are coaches, parents, yeah, and some right, athletes here. Right. They're, they're all just like, please don't share some of these stories. Um, <laughs> don't drop names. Yeah. I didn't warn you for that. So, I mean, I think you grow up your whole life, you know, envisioning the fact that you can play in college or that you can play on the PGA tour. So, you know, you get there and you're just so excited. Right. And it's just, it's something you've always dreamed about, but I don't think like junior golf, I don't think, you know, growing up high school golf, I mean, it doesn't really prepare you for the grind that is college golf. Right. And, and I think, you know, I say that in a couple of different ways, just because, you know, you're always kind of on your own schedule. Golf's an individual sport for the most part, right. You go to high school and, um, you know, I went to a relatively small high school, um, had great teammates, but 
you know, practice was laid back. It was, you know, we'd go play nine holes. We'd do some drills here and there. But, like, for the most part, we kind of just did our own thing, had a good time. We, you know, we enjoyed our, our each other's company. And, you know, it was like you'd go play a, a high school match and it'd be nine holes. You might have an 18-hole tournament on the weekends. But that was it, right? And even through, like, sectionals and regionals and state, I mean, it's 18 holes. Like, it's a sprint, right? Like, you're – I mean, you've got to play well and – it's similar to like a Monday qualifying, right? For the PGA tour, you've got 18 holes to basically prove that you're better than everybody else. And, you know, on mm-hmm. the PGA tour, they've got 72 holes to do it. And then they're doing it for 28 weeks a year to basically prove that they're the best. Right. Um, and you don't always have your best stuff. And I think like when you get to college, it's, it's similar just because it happens so fast. Right. And you don't play that many tournaments and it just kind of like, you know, it, it comes and it goes, but like the practices, I mean, are obviously a lot more intense. You're playing, I don't know, during any given week, you might go and play, you know, five, six, seven rounds of 18 holes, um, basically to prepare for the weekends or doing qualifying. And then you're practicing on the side because you want to get better as an individual and you have to put in the time and the effort to basically be able to, you know, beat your teammates to be able to make it into tournaments. And then, you get into basically tournament golf and, you know, it, it could be a Saturday, Sunday tournament and you'd be traveling on a Thursday. Friday would be a practice round. And I mean, if anybody's ever been a part of or, or seen kind of a practice round, I mean, when you've got six guys all playing in one group from the same team and everybody's practicing and trying to get a sense for the course, I mean, these are like six, seven hour rounds. Mm-hmm. So it's not like your normal round of golf where it's four hours with the guys and you're having beers and whatnot. Like it's six hours, seven hours of literally just intense studying of the golf course of, you know, everything you've got to know about it. Um, so you're out there all day, right? I mean, you get out, you get up in the morning, you're, you warm up, you know, you, you're out there for six, seven hours, you practice afterwards, and then you're going home, having dinner back to the hotel. So you're out there all day Friday. And then Saturday is honestly the biggest grind. Cause you know, we, you wake up Saturday and most tournaments will go kind of a 36, 18 format. So you you get 54 holes in for the tournament. But I mean, you think about playing 36 holes in one day, walking the golf course and you know, not all golf courses are created equally. Obviously, that's a great thing about golf, but... Can we talk about 36 holes a day? How many miles are you walking? I mean, most people say it's like six to eight miles per round. So you double that and you're probably somewhere in that ballpark of, I don't know, 15 miles, like, 15, 16. This was the part that I just didn't understand. I was like, what? First of all, you're you're out there, you're playing for like a significant amount of time. But like you are, that's so exhausting. No wonder why I saw you guys running sprints every six a.m. Yeah, like, we still never understood that because <laughs> we don't we don't actually sprint on the golf course. Right, but, but you have to be conditioned. Sure. You have to be able to like be coherent. I don't know what other word to say for like your first swing to your last. Yep, yep. That takes a lot of endurance. I mean, there's the physical side and there's obviously the mental side, and we've spent a lot of time talking about that. But Where do you think we're going today, babe? It's uh, <laughs> I, I mean. The, the physical side is one side of it. I, I think a lot of people don't necessarily think of golf being super, super physical. But I think for all those that, that have played kind of at that level and done the 36 holes and walking 36 holes. And, you know, sometimes it's not that day that's the hardest. It's actually the next morning mm. because, you know, you have just gone through that. And anybody that, you know, has ever gone through a tough workout or whatever, you know, waking up that next morning and, you know, having to go do it again. I think is really the part where it's just like, okay, like now I've really got to kind of battle and fight through it. Cause you know, you wait, 
you were just out there for 12 hours a day before you're exhausted get dinner go to sleep and you mm-hmm. know alarm goes off at 5 a.m the next morning basically so that you can go and play your your third round right i don't know if you're going to be able to answer this but i'm just curious let's say you have a crappy day on the golf course do you feel worse getting up the next day to go play like when it comes to like physical exhaustion or like when you have like the best round of your life and wake up which one do you think you're more exhausted from or is it the same i think it depends I mean, I think I've I've probably been a member of the first one a lot more than I have the second one. Let's just throw that out. So I don't know if I can <laughs> if I'm really a good person to compare the two. He's really humble, everybody. Um, I just want you guys to know that. But I think there's there's days where a bad day can be extremely exhausting, and there's there's times when you feel like there's just there's no. recovering from it. Right. And like you, you get out that next day and you're just like, it's going to be just as bad. Like this is just demoralizing. Right. And then there's other days where you go out there and you, you might've struggled, but you've almost got that little bit of just like, I'm going to go get it tomorrow. Like, I don't know why, I don't know what it is that clicked, but there's just something that just gives you that extra little motivation that says today's the day, right. That I'm going to kick this thing that I'm going to say, I'm, done playing bad golf or I'm done doing stupid stuff on the golf course. Right. Yeah. And I'm going to turn this thing around and I'm going to, I'm going to do something a little bit different, you know, and, and maybe it's just that little bit of, you know, you kind of doing your post game analysis of saying like, Hey, what, like, what was it that went wrong? Right. And just finding that little p- bit of momentum to say, yeah, like tomorrow I'm going to do this and I'm going to focus on this and I'm going to see if it gets any better. Right. This is so good. Wait, don't, we have to stop here because (laughs) I don't think enough people after performance think about that stuff. College athletes that play at our level or beyond and pro athletes, I think they know to ask that question, but I don't think enough athletes are asking those questions. They just want to forget about the bad. They just want to say, Oh, it's a bad day. Just move on but they don't go through what made the bad day happen and mm-hmm. what they're going to go do different. Yeah. There's a super fine line though, too. Totally. Because you know, what I've, what I've experienced as well is if you do it too quickly, you may react to something that isn't the norm. Right. So like if I go out and let's just say, you know, it, it's part of that 36 whole day and I hit my first tee shot and it goes in the rough you know, and my ball's gone. I can't find it. Right. All of a sudden, like if I let that affect me and I overanalyze that shot, right. It could literally spiral my entire day out of control. Same thing with like a strikeout on a bad pitch. So it's, it's almost finding that right balance of short-term memory loss of like, forget about it, move on, just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. But then also knowing kind of when you do need to take that step back and be like, okay, this actually isn't working. Right. Right. And then, and then be able to analyze to yourself and say, what can I do a little bit differently to make either that next, the the next shot, the next round, the next day better. And most of the time for me, it was always like, I never really wanted to make a change within the day. Right. Like that was when I found myself kind of doing the whole spiral out of control is like, and I, and I think I learned that probably from my high school coach that always kind of you know, instilled in me to, to say, you know, and, and he did this with his daughter when she played college golf, focusing on, and you told me not to na- name drop, but I literally just like called him out, but this is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I was going to um, say, if it's a good thing, but, say the name for but sure. But he, uh, you know, he always talked about how he would never bring something up to her the same day. 
Yeah. He always waited until the next day because it allowed her to kind of analyze it herself and to basically like focus on that side of it. And then to basically be able to say, okay, now like, where are you at? Right. Because if it's the same day, sometimes it can be emotional. High emotions. Totally. Even after a good performance too high of emotions. I think we just need to pause here and reflect on the fact that one, this is not the first time this podcast has heard this, but if it's being said again, that means it means something big. So truly when you think of like the best athletes or I mean, just college athletes, whoever they're the best coaches in those realms are doing the same thing. If even the coaches are in high emotion, they're not going to have a meeting. Deanna Gump, I'm dropping a name at Notre Dame. She goes, if I'm too high emotional, I won't have a conversation with the team because it won't be constructive at all. And she goes, we have, we always have the conversation. We always talk about it. But when I get to simmer, when my coaching staff gets to simmer, when the players get to simmer, and then we have a conversation, it's totally different and it's actually constructive. Yeah. And I see that today in my, in, you know, the real world too. Like <laughs> it, it's crazy how much like, you know, it all ties together because the, the same thing's true, you know, in the corporate world, in our lives. I think, I think the same thing's true in, you know, relationships, right? Like when we have a conversation and one person is really high on emotions because something just happened, like it can make you kind of overreact and it makes it very unconstructive, right? Yeah. But if we both have time to kind of like let those emotions come down, say, hey, like, okay, what happened? How did it make us feel? Like what's going on, right? And then basically be able to kind of analyze it from that standpoint. All of a sudden you can have a much more constructive kind of conversation and meeting. Totally. Wow. I don't know where we were before we went down this little rabbit hole, but I think it was just you interrupting me. That's about it. What? How rude. (laughs) You're the first person to call me out on this podcast. Might not be the last. I hope not. I need my constructive criticism, but that's the thing. I don't want you to keep going and then us forget about the amazingness that just came. Sure. From your words. So college golf is hard. It's fun though, too. You know, I mean, we wouldn't do it if we didn't love it, but yeah, I mean, I think every sport's hard, right? Like I'm not going to sit here and say that college golf is hard and you know, these other sports that, you know, people are playing are, are easy. I mean, every sport's hard. Every sport has its challenges, but I think that's like what makes athletes so special is because they embrace those challenges and they want to, they do it because they enjoy it. They enjoy the challenge and they enjoy the grind And none of us would have done it if we didn't enjoy it, right? Like, I don't think anybody's really forced to do it, um, at least not really at that level. You know, maybe maybe sometimes we see that at kind of younger levels. And And they burn out. Right. But, like, I think for for the most part, I don't think there's a single person, you know, any one of my teammates. I don't think any one of, you know, my fellow student athletes that I I talked to that I met, you know, during my time at Purdue or – within the big 10 or even within the NCA, you know, that I, I talked to a lot of student athletes. I don't think I ever met a student athlete that was just like, I'm doing this against my will. Like, please help me. You know, yeah. like every single person was super passionate about it. They loved the challenges. And even with some of the things that we were working on for student athletes, for student athlete well-being, I think the thing that we heard more than anything else is do not take our sport away from us. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we, we did a lot of work around time demands. Do not take my sport away from us. Do not lock me out of my gym. Do not lock me out of my field, my my 
the golf course, whatever it was, right? Because people at the end of the day play a sport for very, very different reasons. Mm-hmm. And some people it's for to escape other things. And it's a great way to to clear your mind. But it's also because we all love it. And it's it's something that we enjoy and something that we want to continue to do. So like, you know, it was just it, it it's important. Like sports are important and they're an important part of I mean, our lives, right? Yeah. All of our lives. Yeah. And if you want to be good at anything, it takes the work outside of practice to become good at it. Mm-hmm. So still giving the athletes the option to still practice on their own is big. I need to know why is golf, just the sport of golf in general, so flipping hard. I've started to play. You say I'm actually decent at golf. You are. But I compare my skills to my softball skills, and I suck. Sure. Okay. Okay, we've played enough golf together for you to know. I get very emotional on the golf course. And you say, you're not good enough to get emotional. Yes, you have said that to me before. This is actually not the first time that that phrase has come up in the podcast either. to let you know, but why is it so hard in your opinion? I mean, I think it's hard because there's, there's certain people out there that make it look extremely easy. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not, and, but it's, but it's one of those sports that I think is universal that everybody plays. I mean, like I don't on a day to day basis, like I'm not on a football field with NFL players, right? Like I don't I don't know what that's like, but golf is an extremely comparable sport because you're doing the same exact thing with the same exact technology and equipment that a professional is doing it with, right? Mm-hmm. So it's extremely comparable, right? I mean, even if I went to a to a softball field right now and somebody threw me a pitch, that's not the same as, you know, a Monica Abbott throwing me a pitch. So it's not comparable. Right. Like I could hit that ball or I could even swing and miss and be like, wow, this is hard. But I would have no idea how hard it actually is compared to the best in the world. But golf is extremely comparable because you see these people doing the same exact thing that you're trying to do. And they make it look so easy and so effortless. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like soccer. I'm just saying European soccer. They make it look so easy. Sorry. Keep going. They do make it look really easy. They do. Keep going. Um, But I think like that's part of it is just because, you know, our human nature is to compare ourselves, right? Not saying it's right or wrong, but like everything's kind of a comparison. Mm -hmm. And I think like when we watch the best and we watch them on TV or we watch somebody that's better than us, like, you know, out on the golf course and they make it look super easy. And I think that's where your, a lot of your criticism comes from, right? Cause you're, you've watched people at the highest levels play, right? Like you've, you've been to PGA tour tournaments, you've seen these guys do it. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, why can't I just do that? Right. Right. Well, it's because they have spent hours and hours and hours and days working on that specific craft and you've been working on a different craft, right? Yeah. So how can you expect to be anywhere near as good as that person that's been working on this forever? And at the end of the day, it just makes it look extremely simple. Mm -hmm. It makes me think of when we were watching football this weekend or this week. When I was my you're so critical. My, You've never played football in your life. And you're like, my, I could do that. I'm like, no, co- you can't. My coach on the couch. <laughs> I mean, it comes out of all of us, but I completely agree with you. Yeah. I completely agree. But the thing that you haven't mentioned yet, and I've just been waiting for you to answer, is the mental aspect. I mean, it is. But but I think that goes back to, like, the comparison, right? Like, we don't make golf any easier on ourselves when we watch people that do it really, really well, like 
that can give us tips on like how we could do it differently. But at the end of the day, it's like, it is mental. Like you've got to just be able to get beyond the fact that you just hit a bad shot and there's still good shots to be hit, you know? So much easier to say than do though. Sure. It is. I mean, but, but it's also relative, right? Mm -hmm. Like what a good shot is for one person isn't, this isn't necessarily a good shot for somebody else. And I think that's something important to like keep in mind because somebody that rarely plays the game, you know, making contact with the golf ball is not necessarily bad, right? You just didn't make the right contact with it. That's why it dribbled in front of you, right? Or that's why it went over into the trees. But like once you can start to figure out like, okay, where am I at? Like what is my level of ability? And you start putting in the time to do that and you start to basically have more realistic expectations. Like your expectation when you go to the golf course should not be, I'm going to hit every single fairway and every single green and regulation and make 18 pars. Like it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. You, you don't play enough. Like I don't play enough. That shouldn't be my expectation. Oh, you were talking about me in that situation. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Anybody but, listening that plays golf can definitely take that to heart. But like it's being realistic with your expectations at the end of the day. Right. And I think that's where the mental side can get in people's way because they expect something that they're not seeing the results of. And that basically takes you into kind of this mental like really kind of slippery slope of just like, well, I'm, I'm just terrible. I'm just really, really bad at this. I'm, I'm never going to be good at it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because you have really bad expectations, right? It's, it's, it's like goal setting, right? You're not going to set a goal that's just completely way out there. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, say as a 29 year old, you know, I want to, I want to be the first man on Mars. Like that's just an unrealistic expectation. I'm setting myself up for failure if I say that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think the same is true for a golfer that, you know, doesn't play very often or just picked up clubs for the first time to say, I'm going to play on the PGA tour next year. Right. Like that's unrealistic. So Mm -hmm. I think the more that we can be realistic with where we are with certain aspects, the more fun we're going to have with it. And the more that we can actually like really analyze where we are and where we want to be with that specific thing and not, you know, get super, super upset at ourselves when, something doesn't go exactly the way we want it to. Right. So give me a high level pressure situation that I would say golfers on a regular basis have to not a regular basis, go back to college athletics. What is a situation that's like really, really tough mentally? I'm thinking like a four foot putt to, I don't know. Yeah. I think, you know, I think in college golf, there's enough, I don't even know what the right word is. Um, and I'm not going to pretend to find one in my bag of tricks right now, but it's just like, there's enough of just kind of you being out there by yourself to where you don't necessarily know what's happening and you don't know like what the relevance is of that shot. Right. To okay. where, to where I, I would say like that there isn't a ton of like specific pressure situations within like being a college golfer really until you get to specific moments in your round or in a tournament um, to really be able to understand. I mean, I think everybody gets nervous, right? Because if, if you're nervous, it means you care. So I think like always one of the most pressure packed situations is, you know, the beginning of a round because you, you have those expectations for yourself and you want to do well. And you're always a little bit nervous kind of starting out because you, you, you care and you want it to go well. But you kind of get into the into the rhythm of of the round, right? And if you happen to be kind of lucky enough to be in a situation where those last couple shots 
you know, really matter for where your team finishes or where you finish as an individual, like obviously then the pressure starts to kind of ramp up again. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's, that's somewhat natural within a round of golf um, to where people will sort of be a little bit more nervous at the beginning. Um, they'll kind of get their feet under themselves kind of during the middle of the round, unless there's really just a specific shot or a specific hole that they just, you know, kind of have as a, as a, as a mental gap in their mind of like, I don't, I don't really like this shot. Right. And those those are just kind of those negative things that you try to try to tune out. But then once you get kind of later in the round and you start to understand where you're at, you know, people going for bogey free rounds or, you know, going for a tournament win or, you know, trying to help their team move up one or two spots, like kind of on those final couple holes. But for the most part, you, you really kind of find a rhythm kind of during the middle of the game. Um, that doesn't necessarily, you know, have specific pressurized situations, I would say. Yeah. I think that's similar to softball. It's just a way shorter amount of time, but you know, if you have butterflies at the beginning, I love how you said, if you, if you're getting nervous, that means you care. I think that goes with all sports. If you're nervous, I mean, shoot, I was nervous before this interview. Yeah, I was about I to say, it doesn't, well. doesn't, ha- doesn't um, have to be sports. I mean, it's right. meetings, it's first dates, whatever it is, right? <laughs> like people are nervous because they care because right. they want it to go well. Right. 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 So when you're in the middle of the game, there's not much pressure, but then all of a sudden like pressure starts to build. It's either internally, externally, there's pressure there. Clearly every athlete who's played at the college level has experienced the both realms of Mm -hmm. succeeding during that time and not take me through a time where you did succeed in that situation and what you think led to that. We're getting Uh, deep. Yeah. I mean, I, gosh, I, you have a good, you have a better memory than me. So I know, but I'm trying to think of just the succeed aspect of it. I'm struggling. Um, you were okay. You were one of the best golfers in the country before you got to college. Yeah, Correct. It's, it's being a little bold, but you know, it was no, didn't you, you won like a national title. That was well before. Okay. But yeah, I'm not saying you have to go all the way back there. Yeah, I did beat Justin Thomas once. If you want to just <laughs> throw that out there. Yeah. If Justin, if you're listening, what's up, buddy? <laughs> we need to text him after this and be like, so <laughs> I talked about you on a podcast, but you, you actually talked about this since you mentioned him. And this is kind of Frank, but he's clearly one of the best players on the PGA tour. And there was a time where you were better than him. What is the difference? Based on skill level, like once you get to college and beyond, it's mentality. I think just in general, you know the 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 level of confidence, and you know sometimes we we kind of made the made the joke. There's there's really, I think, two ways to to be like you know really really good golfer. You either have to kind of almost be too dumb to know that you're good because <laughs> because you don't get in your own way. Right? I know softball just, players that are the same way. And you just you just keep going and you're just like, I don't even realize how good I am or like what this situation means or anything. Right. And you just go. I don't like using the word dumb. I, Maybe just like naive. I don't know. Uh, but that's one side. Okay. Right. The other side is basically you you kind of have this level of confidence and almost to the point of like arrogance sure. of like I am better than you. Sure. You know, even if you're not, you make yourself believe it because at the end of the day, like those who believe will probably perform better than those who don't believe, Mm -hmm. even if they're, you know, completely different skill levels. Yeah. And that could be in the long run too. Mm -hmm. Like on any given day, anybody could lose, anybody could win. Right. But like, if you believe you're good, you will become good. Yep. Yeah. 
So then what's the other aspect then? You're either dumb enough to like not realize it. And then you said the other one was the arrogance. Yep. Okay. Yep. Which one were you? Or is that just the most successful people are those people? I think I'm just, you asked kind of why, why, why do I think Justin kind of went to that next level? I think, sure. Ju- I think Justin was the latter, right? Yeah. Uh, he has a level of confidence, um, composure just about himself on a day-to-day basis. And I think, you know, we saw it when he was a, when he was a junior golfer, does everybody like him for it? Probably not just yeah. because, you know, it can come off a little bit weird, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, it's incredible to watch. And I think the best athletes in the world all have that kind of aura to them at times. Um, and kind of have to, to kind of go to that next level. And I think Justin had it when he was a junior golfer. He definitely had it when he was in college. And honestly, like, I think even when he got to the PGA tour, I mean, as a rookie on the PGA tour, his whole goal was like, I'm going to win a tournament. Like I, I am going to win a tournament. Yeah. And it, and it wasn't one of those as like this stretch goal. It was, he believed it. Like he believed he was good enough day one to be on the PGA tour and to win a tournament and to be one of the best players in the world. And I think like, you know, anything that we've, we've read about the most successful golfers back in time, like they've all had a similar mentality, right? Tiger Woods has never played in a tournament. He didn't believe he couldn't win. Yeah. Right. I mean, he goes to every tournament. It doesn't matter if he's doing it on a broken leg. He went there and he went there with one goal and it was, I'm going to win this tournament. Yeah. And he did. Right. Because he had that level of mindset. If you, if you go into a tournament and you're just like, I really hope I can make this cut. Well, completely different spot. Then, you're going to either make then, the cut or not. You're not going to win. Right. And, and most of the time you're just going to hover right around that spot, no matter yeah. how good you're playing. Right. You're yeah. never going to really like, you know, contend or be for the lead or anything like that. I mean, but those guys that go into the tournament and they say, I'm going to win this tournament. Like when they fail, they finish 20th. Right. Right. If, if your mindset is, I, I hope I can make this cut. Like I'm, I'm going to try to make the cut this week. <laughs> you're, I mean, if you fail there, you're finishing 140th, right? You know, and you're going to miss the cut, and you're packing your bags, and you might as well have just booked your hotel and your flight for for the two night stay. Totally. Do you think? Uh, I'm glad you mentioned Tiger Woods, and he and Justin are good buddies. Mm-hmm. Do you think their dads? Because we, you know, Justin's dad used to travel with them all the mm-hmm. time and play. Do you think their dads had an influence, or just their family, on their success? For sure. I think in, you know, and obviously I've never met Tiger's dad, um, but I've watched, I've watched a lot of documentaries. Say, the documentaries um, say a lot. But I'll say that like parents in general have a massive impact on it. Right. But it can be done very differently. And, and honestly, from the things that I've seen with Tiger's dad versus, Ju- versus what I saw with Justin's dad, two very different approaches. Sure. Um, but both equally as you know, as rewarding, I think like, you know, both of them basically ended up in a pretty similar spot. Right. Can you, can you elaborate the on their, on their scenarios? I mean, I think they both, when it comes to support, mm-hmm. I think they, they're pretty similar on that regard, yep. but what are some of those strategies that you know, that you believe like with your opinion are the reason why they're so good? I think you nailed it. It's just, it's the support, right? It's, it's knowing that no matter what they've got their back, yeah. And just kind of doing it in a very constructive way, knowing, knowing obviously their sons and what, you know, they needed to kind of push themselves forward. And a lot of top athletes, you know, will have kind of a, you know, a fire internally already. Mm-hmm. And so 
you know, sometimes it's not necessarily about trying to light a fire for them, right? Mm -hmm. It's just giving them a little bit of gas or sometimes it's even giving them a little bit of oxygen to let that, you know, fire really grow. It's not necessarily about, you know, just doing, doing the same thing. Like you, I, I think it's just understanding what your child needs at that point in time to continue to basically push forward. Right. And there, there's obviously certain aspects where, you know, they probably were, were, were very tough and were just like, Hey, no, like that's not the right way to do this. Right. And other times it was just more of like being a cheerleader, like mm -hmm. supporting them from the standpoint of saying, yeah, like you're doing all the right things. Like, you know, stay on the path, stay on course, do, do that. Um, and more just, you know, kind of supporting them with, with positivity than necessarily always making it constructive, right? It's just being able to understand the situation, understand where they're at at that point in time to, to continue to push it forward. How was your dad and your success? Be honest. He was extremely supportive. And I think the, the thing that was difficult for us is we didn't always see eye to eye. And I think I didn't necessarily make it well known on what I needed from him. Right. right? And I think there were times where that was maybe a little bit more of kind of butting heads versus, you know, constructive. And we were like, we were probably trying to move in the same direction. Like, actually, I know we were trying to move in the same direction, but we weren't getting on the same page. Right. Yeah. And I think like that, I'm not saying it held me back at all. Because it because I don't I don't think it did right. It actually probably took me to another level and and probably made me, you know, understand other aspects of you know things that I didn't see that same way mm -hmm. right. And I think has made me more of a well-rounded person. But I think just you know from that aspect, there's you know you you've got to be kind of on the on the on the same page with it or at least in the same book right. And I think there were times where my dad was in this book and I was, I was over here reading, reading something else. Mm -hmm. Right. And we, we weren't necessarily on the, on the same page going in, you know, kind of on the, on the same wavelength, so to speak. But, you know, my dad was, was extremely passionate about, you know, what I was doing, what, you know, my sister was doing just in general, like with, with sports, with academics, with life, you know, always trying to instill the right values and I think it was just, you know, there were times where we where we didn't see eye to eye with it. And mm -hmm. I think that's where, you know, that I, I would say that's how my dad was. So for athletes or parents or coaches that don't see eye to eye with their athlete, parent or coach, <laughs> what what advice would you give them? I think just talk about it. You know, I think it's probably easier said than done. But like try to better understand each other at work. Um, we, we do a lot right now, you know, Lippert's done a great job with kind of the, the leadership Academy and everything that we're doing there. And I've, I've learned a tremendous amount about, you know, just overall leadership. And I think, you know, anytime you're talking about a, a relationship between two people, it's really leadership, right? Mm -hmm. It comes down to leadership in, in some form or fashion, whether you're a coach, you're a parent, you're a player, you're a teammate, whatever it is, right? You're a son, you're a daughter, like, you know, you can lead up, you can lead sideways, you can lead down, you can lead any direction. And one of the things that, that we instill at Lipper is really lead self, lead team, lead business. And I think just based off of those conversations, number one, the most important aspect is understand yourself first, Yeah. right? Because if you don't understand yourself, then having that conversation can be extremely difficult, 
right? Having that conversation with your parent or your coach, if you don't even know exactly what you're looking for, or what you need or what you're trying to do, how's that coach supposed to be able to help you? Yeah. Right. And then I think that the second aspect of that is really understanding, you know, that that lead team is understanding the bigger picture, understanding those around you, understanding what their goals are, right? Understanding what what they're trying to get out of it. And once you can basically get to that level, I think that's where you start to basically talk about that relationship between two people, right? Mm-hmm. You start to talk about the relationship between a coach and a player, a son and a, and a father, whatever it is, right? You start to talk about that relationship because the more that both sides can understand where you're coming from, what their goals are, what their intentions are, right? And, and understand how that person ticks and maybe what, what ticks them off, right? Like just understanding those aspects, I think is what, you know, ultimately allows you to have an extremely constructive conversation on this is what we need to do to make sure that we're on the same page, that we're working in the right direction. And I think a lot of times, you know, the, the, the hardest part is, you know, this, this all happens extremely fast. Right. And, you know, I, I learned this now, you know, at almost 30 years old versus, you know, when I was 10 or 12, right. Having this conversation with my dad. And I'm not, am I trying to say that my dad has to be the one that knows this? No. Right. But like, I think still at the end of the day, the more that, you know, we can educate each other or that, you know, a parent today that's listening to this can, you know, maybe take some advice from it to say, Hey, like, you know, the more that I can understand, you know, the type of person that my kid is, what their goals are, what they want to do, maybe the more it allows them to, you know, really kind of drive, you know, them forward and, and allow that them to kind of be the best support system they can be for that player. Yeah. I, I honestly wish I would have spoke up a little sooner with my dad. Because I've told you, I mean, our dads are similar in their fun, unique ways. But I mean, when I was getting scolded in the car after a bad performance, I'm just going to say it as it is. I never said anything. I just took it, just nodded my head, maybe cried a little. And I went inside and like and and honestly, I wish I would have sooner because I eventually did have this conversation with my dad, but I wish I would have like. Not in that moment, right. <laughs> but maybe when we're in a better mood, um, would have just brought up, hey, I'm my best me when I get time to myself after a game. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, honestly, all the things that my dad was saying was not wrong. Right. They were all right, yep. but they were just, they just came at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a big part of it. And I was probably just starving. And yeah. needed food or tired and tired. Right. I mean, when you put your heart and soul on the field, whether it's a good performance or bad, you're exhausted. Right. And I think that like, again, it comes back to knowing the person better. Right. Because, yeah. you know, the more that you can get to get to really know them and understand them, you know, even now with teammates and, and, you know, people that, that I work with, you know, knowing how they normally act knowing kind of being able to kind of read that, read the room, so to speak. Right. But with that individual, like just knowing kind of what mindset are they in right now? Mm -hmm. Because that can, that can tell me like, how do I approach this situation better? Right. And I think, you know, sometimes as, as, you know, young adults, right. Or, or kids, like we don't even know how we express our emotions. Right. 
Yeah. And sometimes I, I, We're I feel to like figure our, ourselves out. Right. And, and sometimes I feel like our parents don't even know how to read our emotions. No. Right. And so I think that's like what makes it even more difficult. But that's where I think that the timing is crucial because, you know, at the end of the day, most athletes, not all athletes, but most athletes are going to be, you know, innately tough on themselves. Right. They're 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 not going to need too much pushing most mm-hmm. of the time, especially if, you know, they didn't have a good performance. They're probably going to know that they had a bad performance without you telling them, you know, that they, had, that they had a bad performance. Most of the time they're their own harshest critic. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I think it's just like knowing that about, you know, kind of athletes now would definitely be something that I would share just in general. And, and, you know, I hope I can, I can do one day is just to better understand, like, you know, what is that, what's that athlete going through? What's that person going through before I, you know, tell them, you know, something else or some other form of constructive or positive feedback, right? There's times to, to basically kind of, you know, look at both of them, but I think it's, you know, it's knowing that timing going back to what you said. Yeah. I mean, think about us, our best conversations, they are over breakfast and coffee and pancakes. Yep. I mean, you always get like an egg with every sort of meat inside it and cheese, but yep, <laughs> it's the way to do it though. But I think that controlled environment for us is the reason why we are able to get to have conversations that we don't normally have while we're watching TV at night with our dog. Right. So I think there's something to that. I think there's something about creating an environment where this is where and when we're going to talk about this thing. And honestly, sitting in a car kind of traumatizes me when I'm in the passenger seat sometimes and dad's right there and I'm 28 and I'm still feeling these things. Sorry, dad. But I I just think that has to do with, you know, I should have spoke up sooner. Like, Hey dad, I want to talk about this. Can we talk about it later? Again, I'm 12 years old, 13 years old. I'm not sure if I'm going to have that conversation. If Mm -hmm. I go back, I don't think I'm going to have it, but I just want at least parents and coaches listening read the room, read your athlete and like maybe ask is, do you want to talk about this now? I don't know where I'm going, but I think that that's important. Yeah. Okay. One thing that I admired a ton about watching you when you played was your incredible composure. Like it was, it was the coolest thing. Like, cause I know it's a very pressure situation, whatever situation that was. And it never looked like you were, down or even too happy you were just even keeled Mm -hmm. why were you that way I think it's just you know we we talked a lot about highs and lows right and like how strong kind of negative thoughts can be and I think just looking at that it, it was important to me to not let what's already happened really affect me. Right. Was I mad about it for sure. Right. Was I upset about bad things or was I really, really excited about good shots? Yeah, of course I was. But at the same point, the more that you kind of outwardly express those, the more energy you're, you're spending, right. We talked about how grueling and tough, you know, our, our days could be, um, how difficult, you know, it can be as a, as a mental grind. So the, the more that you do that kind of as a, as an outward expression, the more energy it takes, the more it takes you into those highs and the lows. 
And I felt like it just, it took away the focus that was really needed, which was really on what's going to happen next. Right. Um, and I think just in, in, in really any situation, once we've committed to it, I mean, you got to just execute. Right. And at the end of the day, execution may not always look the same. Sometimes it may actually end in failure and sometimes it may end in success. Right. Um, same thing with golf, right? Like you, you go through all the, all the numbers you, you try to figure out how, how far is it? You know, what, what's the wind doing? Where do I want to hit this shot? Right. And you make a decision at the end of the day, you say, yeah, I'm going to hit this club and I'm going to hit this shot and I'm going to hit it. And at the end of the day, if it turns out great, you hit a great shot. You know, the last thing that you want to do is get super excited because guess what? You still have to hit another one. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like really the only time that you can get that, that I feel like you can get like super, super, super excited is basically if you're completely done. Like if you, if you've just, you know, kind of won the whole thing and, and you're like, I am like, this is the, this is the end. Like, I know I've, I've kind of done it. Obviously there's really, really cool moments, right? Holing out, making a hole in one, all that kind of stuff. You go crazy. Cause it's just, it's not natural. Right. It's, it's just one of those that's, that's cool. Yeah. But on the flip side, like, you know, you can have things that happen where it didn't, pan out the way that you planned it. It didn't, you know, the execution didn't go the way that you had wanted it to. And I think, you know, anytime that, you know, I look back at those situations or like even today in the, in the business world, like if there is a specific thing that we execute on that, that doesn't go the way that we plan in my mind, it was, it was poor, poor kind of preparation and poor planning. Mm -hmm. Right. Because at the end of the day, as long as you're committed to executing on, on the things that you've done beforehand, you've done what you're supposed to do at that moment in time. Right. Mm -hmm. But all the stuff that you did beforehand is what you can learn from. Right. So, but there's no point getting upset about that at that point in time, because there's nothing you can do about it. So I think it's just a matter of kind of trying to, trying to stay kind of in, in that level headed space. I think it'll, it just allows you to think more clearly for what's going to happen next. Right. So like if you do something really, really good and you get super excited, you kind of forget about like what's happening next. And then you might screw up the next one. You just completely gave away whatever you just did. That was really good. Right. You're living in the past. Yep. Same thing's true. If you did something poorly and you get really, really upset. Well, if you stay upset and you don't think clearly on the next thing, it's going to snowball, right? You're going to do another bad thing and another bad thing and another bad thing. And it's just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. Right. And that's not a good situation to be in either. So I think just that composure was something that I learned very early on. And this was actually something, you know, when, when we talk about kind of what, what my dad's kind of impact was that he instilled in me very early on because he talked me through that very same thing. And I don't know how old I was, but it made perfect sense to me because he gave me a very specific example. And he said, when you did this, like, this is what happened and this is what happened next. And this is what happened next. And this is what happened next. And I was like, Yep. hundred percent. Right. <laughs> and it was just, it was a snowball effect. Mm-hmm. Right. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and I think from that moment on, you know, and, and that's a tough one because people play their sports with so many different like levels of passion that people will express more emotion than I express. I, I genuinely, I think just don't express a lot of emotion and really in many situations. Right. Um, I think that that's just kind of like who I am and other people express a lot of emotion, but I think it's being able to kind of figure out how to, I don't even want to say like figure out what like volume that's at, 
but almost just like know how to control it for yourself yeah, and know how to basically move beyond that to the next thing because sports is something that happens extremely quick. And in golf, I would say it's probably one of the slowest in a lot of cases Yeah, because you, you do have time. Uh-huh. You've got time to walk to your next shot and so forth. That's how I think softball and golf are similar too. There's a lot of time to think or overthink or mm-hmm. move on or stay in the past. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I heard a I heard an interesting stat one day, and it, it basically was talking about you know on the even on the PGA Tour or you know college golf, a round of golf usually takes somewhere in the ballpark of you know let's say four four and a half hours, right? If that's how long it takes, but by the rules of golf, you only have forty five seconds to hit each shot. Mm-hmm. So if you're playing at a high level and you shoot let's say even par seventy two, and you take that math out the longest that you would ever actually have to like truly focus on the game is really right about an hour, right? It's like 60 minutes. Sure. So at the end of the day, like, and and that's spread out over four hours. So those like other, you know, three hours, it's really trying to figure out how do I, how do I not get in my own way almost, right? It's like, how do I just, you know, think about other things, think about, you know, what I'm having for dinner, think about, you know, what, what my family is doing for Christmas, whatever it is, right? Like think about other things because you can wear yourself out by thinking too much in between. hundred percent. And that's again, like back to that, the whole energy thing, that's a lot of expended energy that you could be using on other things. Totally. And I think when it comes down to it, you know, I know you didn't have high emotions like after a shot, but I think during a shot or like while you're in the present moment, every elite athlete is the same. They are locked in. And again, like some people, like I think of just like Garcia, Sergio Garcia, or just like John Rom, they get super excited mm-hmm. or upset. Yep. But like when you look at them, when they're actually performing, mm-hmm. they're locked in and, and yeah. back at it. Yep. So I agree though. I think there's like that balance to make sure you don't just like over exude your brain and your energy on the things that, right. you know, you could easily just be like, you know, you, you see guys on the course all the time that are just like. Hey, how's your dog? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> like they're just, yep. and I didn't know that that happened until I was out there watching you caddy for Adam and I wanted to get into caddying, but we can do that next conversation. But the, the best players, they're able to kind of just like take themselves away from the game, mm-hmm. especially in those moments that really yep. are just in between. Yeah. And a lot of those names that you mentioned, and you know, we, we even talked about tiger. A lot of those guys have, you know, just a rule set. Right. And it's like, I have a 10 second rule, you know, I hit a golf shot, it lands, it stops. I have 10 seconds to basically say whatever, do whatever, positive, negative, whatever it is about that shot. And once those 10 seconds are up, it's over. Like yeah. I'm done. I'm, I'm right back to where I was before. Mm-hmm. I was never able to do that. Right. Like it's if hard. all of a sudden I did that, like it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily stop. And I think just in general, it was it was one of those where I I just figured, you know, I I'm going to take whatever result and I'm just going to take it. Like, I feel like I have pretty thick skin. I'm just going to, you know, have it hit me and I'm going to say, OK, yep, that was a terrible shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? You're honest with yourself. Move on. Yeah. Because guess what? The only thing I can do now is make sure the next one isn't as bad as that last one. Yeah. Right? But at the same point, like, I'm not, I mean, I, I say that now, but that's not necessarily exactly what's going through your mind. But like the longer that you let that linger and all of a sudden you're you're actually in the moment trying to think of that next shot. Well, now you're thinking about the completely wrong thing. 
right? You've got to think about what, what you're trying to do then. Right. Right. Mic drop. I think that there were so many just like little gems that we've never even touched on this podcast that you brought up. And I'm, I'm really grateful that you were on. This is normally the part where I say, where can people follow you and your work on social media? You're never nowhere posting nowhere. your last post. I'm calling you out I'm was when we rock. got engaged. We are now married. I am under a rock. Yeah, kind of. So if you're looking to follow Ben Marvin, you can't. It's a great way to put it. Just follow <laughs> Ashley. That, yeah. That's how you follow me. I was going to say, I post enough about you and people can get to know you, but this or, has Arnie. Been, this is, or Arnie, of course, but this has been so much fun before we call it quits on this conversation. I want to ask you five questions. Okay. I call them five to thrive. Give me the first thing that comes to mind when I ask. Okay. Do you have any questions? Mac and cheese. <laughs> Mac and cheese. That's what you want for dinner. Okay. Got it. Got it. The first question is what's your favorite thing about golf? It's tough. That's a common answer. Am I supposed to go further? No, nope, okay. nope, that's it. You know, I love that answer though. Cause it's true. You don't play a sport without understanding how tough it is, but you don't love it either without understanding how tough it is. Nope. Yeah. Great answer. Who is the athlete you looked up to most growing up and why? Bobby Jones. Really? I thought you were going to say Tiger Woods. No. Why Bobby? What impresses me about Bobby Jones and obviously never got to see anything that he did in, in real life, but just, you know, read some books on him, watched some movies on him, everything else. And the guy was a true all around person. And I think that was like something that, again, you know, going back to my parents that they instilled in me, it wasn't about, you know, what I did on the golf course that day, right? It was about the the all around human being that I was, yeah. right? School mattered. My family life mattered. My friends mattered. Golf mattered. Like, yeah, those, all those things matter, but, it, but it's who you are as a, as a well-rounded person, right? Like you can't let sports define you. And I think that was what was so cool about Bobby was the fact that he was not only an incredible golfer, but the things that he did outside of golf were also incredible. I mean, he was an incredible student, family man, everything that was just really, really cool to see because it, it shows that it can be done, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can excel at more than one area and be a good person. Exactly. And, and just because you're, you know, and at the end of the day, sports will not be around forever. Um, and that was something that he learned because he, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but you know, he had a disability that basically didn't allow him to continue to play golf. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was because he had the right mindset around the rest of his life that, you know, he was that well-rounded person and he had something to do after golf was over, you know? And I think that's similar to like where I'm at now, right? It's not just golf. Good answer. I love that. What is something that I do that just completely annoys you? Ooh. <laughs> Probably just sit on your phone. Yeah. <laughs> you're just always on your phone. <laughs> Watching TikToks? I don't know what you're doing half the time. I mean, it's just like... I'm researching what I'm going to post. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I do need to get better at that. 
I do. I need to be more of a family woman and be present a little bit more. This is like therapy and a mic. <laughs> Two more questions. One, who was your favorite coach growing up and why? I don't know if I can really point out one. You know, I, I, I think throughout my high school career, I mean, you, you just end up with so many different coaches, right? Yep. Um, when you play multiple sports and, you know, you've got kind of your, your team coaches, you've got your individual coaches. I mean, I just I felt like I had some great ones. Um, you know, Coach Lindgren obviously was high school golf coach. Coach Woods, high school tennis coach. Tim Taig was my personal swing coach. Like just, you know, people that that truly, you know, and, and this kind of goes back to my Bobby Jones answer, people that didn't take me for just an athlete, right? Mm. But like really instilled into me as a person um, that cared about who I was, um, that cared about how the rest of my life was going, that asked me how I was doing and genuinely like cared right outside of just golf like didn't matter like how well I was playing but like you could literally just have a candid conversation with them and just you know they'd ask you about your girlfriends or whatever it was right and just like talk to you as a as a person right and 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 truly want you to grow and become the best person that you could be the best you know student son brother you know husband whatever it is right that, that they just cared i think that that's the biggest thing Good answer. I love that. All right. Before I ask the final question, thanks for coming on, babe. You bet. This has been fun. <laughs> well, you, we'll see. We'll see if I'm the uh, least less listened to episode. Listen to. Oh yeah, that's something that we've we said we're gonna look at. Be like, okay, where is your stats? I don't think you will be the least listened to. Oh, we'll see. I really don't. We'll see. I think more people care about conversations like this than you think. I look forward to it. I do. Last and final question. Will you come back on the show? We'll see when the invite comes and how the how the scheduling works out. Well, let's be honest, the planning wasn't necessarily the greatest for this. No, it wasn't. <laughs> but, you know, I'm just finally glad we ripped the band-aid off and just did the thing. There you go. Because it was fun. Maybe maybe the final question should have been, where are we going to eat for dinner? I think the I think the more important question would be if I asked you, am I ever invited back? <laughs> or am I ever going to be invited back? Well, like I said, there's so many avenues we could have gone and there's so many other things I want to dive into, especially when you caddied for Adam. So on the PGA tour, I want to dive into more about your dad and you and your dad's relationship, because I know there's athletes out there right now that, you know, want to have better relationships with their parents and vice versa. And just know like the training that you did, like there's just a lot of different places we could have gone. So the business world. I think would be a good one too. The business world. What about it? I think just the way that, you know, athletes athletes are listening to this. I'm aware, (laughs) but athletes also make some of the best employees and leaders that you'll ever find. That's fair. And at the end of the day, I should know the statistic better, but it's less than, I think it's even less than 1% of college athletes go on to have a career in athletics. Yeah. They all have careers somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Right. So at the end of the day, um, you know, the lessons that are instilled within athletes become the things that make us great leaders in life. I feel like there, there may be a thing or two that I'd have to say about that. If you ask the right questions, if I ask the right <laughs> questions, he's going to have to write his own questions <laughs> at that point. 
Um, no, I think that is a really valuable conversation we can have in the future. Sounds like we'll have to do multiple more episodes if you're in. Throw it on my calendar. <laughs> you're the organized one. I'm just the one that says sticky note. Okay, we're doing it this day. There you go. All right, you're coming back on the show. It's official. Okay. Thanks for coming on, babe. Yep, you bet. It's been fun. <laughs>